You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is Bill White, and you're listening to Profiles in CRM. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, episode 34. Here's your host, Chris Webster. Hey, thanks for the intro, Siri. Profiles in CRM asks CRM professionals eight simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. All right, we're here on Profiles, and here's the first question. What's your name, and who do you work for? My name is Bill White, and right now I work for the Bureau of Applied Research and Anthropology. It's uh, like a sub-department of the Department of Anthropology at the University of Arizona. Oh, I honestly thought you were going to say you work for Succinct Research. Oh, I also do that too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, there aren't really show notes for this podcast, so check out uh, succinctresearch.com to see more yeah. from Bill. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. So, how long have you been working in CRM? Oh, more than ten years. And we think I got my uh, I got my master's in two thousand four, but I started like the first semester, so like eleven years. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So what, uh, you know, nowadays, what is the position you usually have on CRM projects? And what is the highest position you've ever held? Oh, the position I almost always have now is um, either field director or um, project manager, it depends. Mm -hmm. But uh, this last summer, I was the principal investigator for the uh, River Street Archaeology Project. So I've, I've been a PI. Excellent, excellent. And where have you worked? Uh, when I was in college, my first job was on the Clearwater River in Idaho. And then after that, I, um, let me see, I uh, did my master's uh, research in Illinois. And then I worked the next year um, teaching field schools in Virginia in Fredericksburg. And then I worked for about three years in uh, Washington, so all over Washington State. And then after that, I, I worked for a, a pretty big company here in Arizona. So I got to work in California, Nevada. Um, I think uh, I think that might actually have been it. Oh, New Mexico. And then another company that worked in uh, oh, another company here in Arizona that I pretty much did work in Arizona for them. And then uh, as a grad student here at um, the University of Arizona, I've worked in uh, Montana and North Dakota. Okay, awesome. All right, now here's the, uh, those are sort of the setup questions. Here are the fun questions. Well, fun-ish. Um, <laughs> what, what is the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? And it doesn't have to be professional. It could be something personal or, you know, whatever. Ooh, that's a good question. What's the best thing that's happened to me because I became an archaeologist? Mm, uh, you know, so for me, being an archaeologist was always what I wanted to do ever since I was a kid. So it's kind of like I achieved my goal, but nice. there's a, there's always a danger with that because um, once you've achieved one goal, then there's another goal. So being a field tech, you've become an archaeologist, but now you have another goal. And that could be either you don't like archaeology and you want to become something else, or you can be like me and just get like, you know, double down and just keep doubling down. And so, you know, I wanted to be a crew chief, then I wanted to be a, a project director and a field director and a principal investigator. And so, you know, the, there's never an end to the goals that you want. But the most interesting thing that's happened to me is just the fact that I could realize a dream like that across my entire life. 
you know, it was, it was more than a decade from the time I decided I wanted to be an archaeologist before I actually ever took an archaeology course. Wow. And it was like, you know, almost 20 years before I actually got paid to do archaeology. So to stick with something like that, you know, it's, it's actually kind of amazing to see that I can actually dream something up one day and then stay with it so long that it actually becomes a reality. That's awesome. That's sticking to it. I, I think I think a number of us in this field probably have a, a somewhat similar story, you know, just wanting to be an archaeologist when we were younger and then finding some way to make it work and doing a whole bunch of stuff along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took a jobs workshop at the SAA last year in 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, Carol Ellick and Joe Watkins were the, the um, instructors for the course. And they had us all write down. So there was like, it was sold out. There was probably 25 people in there. And they had you write down when how old you were when you uh, decided that you wanted to become an archaeologist on one piece of paper and then put it on a post-it note up at the front of the room and then write on another piece of paper what year it was that you actually first uh, got your first chance to do archaeology. So either a field school or a volunteer thing or something like that. And it was like, you know, on the left hand were the ages that we all wanted to be six seven eight five years old four years old and then the year that we actually got to do archaeology you know 16 18 22 23 so almost everyone who actually wants to become an archaeologist you have to stick with this thing for a long long time that's awesome i i would almost have to have two different years like uh there's the year when you're like you know, you first see Indiana Jones, like for me, it would have been like eight, you know, seven, eight years old. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd like to be an archaeologist. And so there's that year. But then there's the year in my late 20s, early 30s in college when I was like, oh, you can actually do this as a career without being a professor. And that that was kind of a different realization where it's not just one of those, like, I want to be an astronaut sort of thing. You know, it's like, hey, this might actually happen. Well, that's that's pretty crazy. Astronaut was my fallback career. <laughs> right. Well, I wanted. Yeah, me too. I wanted I'm astronaut. Too, I'm too tall, so yeah, I just bailed. Once I found out that I was too tall to be an astronaut, I was like, "Well, I'm never doing math again." Then. <laughs> never doing math again. Uh, mine was astronaut, archaeologist, and uh, commercial pilot. So um, I got my pilot's license, but I was never a commercial pilot. But I still I still consider that two out of three. So. Well, if you make enough money, you can always take Virgin Galactic like I plan on doing, and then you just accomplish all your dreams in one lifetime. That is pretty much where my savings are all going right now. To, I don't know to what do. you're. I don't know what you're going to do when you get reincarnated. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> Emperor of the universe. Okay, we'll yeah. start on that one. Yeah, that's my goal. All right. Um, so, what is the biggest thing that you would change that would make being a CRM archaeologist better? Oh man, the biggest thing that I would change. Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, there's two things that I would change. I would change the way that we get educated in school so that it is more rigorous and, uh, more similar to what you're actually going to do when you go into cultural resources. And then on the cultural resources side, I would try to, um, I would try to focus ways for uh, cultural resources companies to expand beyond cultural resources to the full Monty of heritage conservation. So we're talking planning, uh, real estate development, um, advising, online courses, like, I mean, the full Monty, because cultural resources companies, the main problem with being a cultural resources archaeologist, they say it's feast or famine, but it actually is is not properly capitalizing a company and diversifying income streams. 
to the point where no matter what happens, you've got money coming in from multiple different, you've got assets, you've got additional side revenue ventures, and you've got, you know, um, just basically a, a plethora of ways that you can raise money when you need it. And then on the education side, I wouldn't spend a lot of time telling people, oh, you really shouldn't uh, go into archaeology. You know, there's no money in archaeology because everybody who wants to be an archaeologist, they don't, they don't care if there's money or not. They want to actually just achieve their goal. Right. Uh, so telling them there's no money will still walk like lemmings towards the cliff. The, the better way is to make it a grinder, you know, like Navy SEAL camp where you have to actually do physical challenges and research, raise money, bring projects to fruition. Uh, and if you can't do that, then maybe you might want to start thinking about what you're going to do, you know? So uh, I think that that's kind of the, the problem in general with anthro departments all over the world. Well, at least the United States, they focus, they, they say they focus on research, but they actually in fact don't, they really focus on getting, students in and out the door because that brings in revenue um and then they say that they're giving you an education when in fact they're really necessarily not well or they're giving you the kind of education that's not really going to help you if the goal is to create every grad student or phd into a professor then the minute they walk in they need to start publishing articles right they need to become major authors that bring in big grants and grind through the arduous task of you know publishing, you know, five or six journal articles and a book before you graduate, right? But they're not necessarily doing that. They're having you spend time on papers and take this core curriculum and all this other stuff, you know. They're not necessarily creating professors, but they're also not creating cultural resources uh, archaeologists. And there's most departments, there's a big disconnect between the Gen Xers and baby boomers who actually made it and became archaeology professors and us you know, Gen Xers, late Gen Xers and millennials that are trying to finish school. So the people who came in, that was 20 years ago that you became a professor. It was 20 years ago. There was, you know, like 100 million fewer people in the United States. Right. <laughs> your your generation was like, you know, pretty big, but the millennials are even bigger. The, the situation of funding in universities was a lot better and more stable in the 80s and 90s than it is today. So... You're, it's like two completely different worlds and they're not necessarily like, you know, uh, doing what they're supposed to for their students. So I'd aim on education, you know, and then I'd also focus on companies giving them the skills uh, that they need to expand their operation uh, to create residual income or um, passive income in order to keep themselves alive. Yeah, those are two really good points because the, uh, there's plenty of grad school programs out there nowadays where you can focus on CRM, but uh, there's almost nothing for the undergrads, and they're still focusing on a basic, generic anthropology degree without a focus on CRM. I know those programs are out there for CRM, but there's just not very many of them, so that's a really good point. And then the diversifying for cultural resource companies. I don't know how it's taken so long to come to that realization, just watching companies fall by the wayside because they don't have any projects and no other source of income. Yeah, and you know what's they become prey for the other companies that are diversified. So like yeah. engineering companies realize that they could also do architecture. Then they realize, you know, hey, well we can become full service providers. So then they started getting biologists and and uh people who can do the um uh the NEPA for uh hazardous wastes. I can't remember what that's called, but 
do all those things and then they get archaeologists and they're like oh sweet well here's this archaeology firm that's pretty much out of money let's just buy that you know and so that's that's what's happening and you know that ch2m hill and, and those companies didn't start off like you know oh well i'm just going to design one bridge and then you know i'm pretty good with that no they decided they were going to do bridges and, and do engineering and then they decided they'll do construction then they decided they'll do this other stuff and project management and then they're like sweet we can make money in this uh, environmental compliance let's get some companies that do that and so you know that's what they did but cultural resources companies usually start like you know cultural resources and then they just like stay that way for a long time and try to dominate a niche until all the projects fall apart and they can't get a loan to keep anything alive and like you know it doesn't quite work out for them all right so you've been pretty much every position in a crm department um you've, you've done pretty much all of it and now you're in a phd program and you're you're getting close to wrapping that up so this next question is what is your career goal in crm and i'll follow that up with is your career goal even lie in crm <laughs> well yeah no it does uh like i said the two things that i'd like to change i basically am going to do so i if everything works out well and I um, I can I can get through the grinder of uh, the job market and maybe become a professor, I don't want to become just your average uh, – well, I'll take that back. All the professors I've had in anthropology have been really awesome and they've focused on their niche of archaeology or anthropology and they are really good at it. And the lady who is my advisor now is probably one of the best I've ever seen at – you know, getting people jobs, helping communities. I mean, these people are actually doing it, right? But um, I cannot say that of every PhD that I've ever met in cultural resources. Uh, and, and it's not because like the very best get chosen to be a professor and then the rest of the PhDs just have to do CRM. It's more like if you're lucky and they need a Mesoamerican you know, um, uh alternative lifestyle woman archaeologist in their department then they're going to hire you like that's that's literally what it boils down to it doesn't boil down to how good you are how smart you are how many nsf grants or any of that other stuff it matters on like are you the ex exact perfect individual to beat out all the 180 or 400 other applicants for this job so um i'm not delusional when i think that i'll uh, become a professor however uh, there's nothing that prevents me from teaching cultural resource management I mean, I, the succinct research blog, that's what I aim to do, you know, mm -hmm. give people information they can use in their career. So if I don't work for a university, then I'll just do succinct research. And um, I want to either be that um, diversifying element in either an existing cultural resources company or just start doing cultural resources projects myself and then diversify. And, the, and like the first thing and probably the easiest thing to do is Take your report, don't put the site locations in it, and write your conclusions and your introduction as if it's a book, and then make that a book that's available. Like that's the easiest way that you can bring in, you know, a couple of dollars off of the reports that you're already writing that are going to go in that Indiana Jones vault. Like that's the first thing. The second thing is to become the preferred vendor of several companies or agencies or organizations and embed yourself in a community so that you know, whenever there's any kind of chance for historic preservation, they just kind of like look to you. And so a lot of that is doing a lot of free archaeology, public archaeology, or um, helping districts create their um, uh, nomination forms and stuff like that until you get to the point where people just recommend you in a community. 
And now Tucson, that's going to be hard. It's a pretty big place with a lot of archaeologists. But Tucson is not normal as far as cultural resources. There's a lot of other places and states out there that don't have anyone that's trying to do that. So uh, as far as the future goes, get the PhD. You know, I just got to get out of school. And then either teach cultural resource management and partner with uh, cultural resources companies or partner with cultural resources companies to diversify their uh, income streams. Okay. And I like to end on this last question, but before that, uh, I'm going to ask you a different question. Um, where can people go on the web to find out more about what you're doing? I think we mentioned your website already. Um, you know, so you've got some other outlets like uh, Twitter and things like that. Yeah, the easiest way to uh, get a hold of me is at um, Succinct Research. So um, it's S-U-C-C-I-N-C-T-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, research. It's all one word, dot com. And there's a blog there. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, one of my the reason I started the blog is because it seemed like, you know, during the recession, everybody needed to find a job. And um, I, I guess I when I first graduated, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get a job. So then when I got laid off, it wasn't as hard for me to find one. But I was surprised that a whole bunch of other archaeologists didn't actually have these skills on, you know, how to find a job and stuff. So I really started the blog as far as that. And I started writing ebooks to try and help people get jobs or get better in their jobs. And then I realized there was actually a decent sized audience. And so, you know, the blogs kept going and I keep doing stuff through succinct research. But that's the easiest way to um, figure out what I'm doing. And then I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter as succinct bill. Okay. And I think I'm on Instagram too as succinct bill. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's the last question. If you could give an undergrad thinking about a career in CRM, one piece of advice, what would it be? The piece of advice I always give every undergrad who asks me if they, you know, what it's like to be an archaeologist is I just say, take a few minutes and a piece of paper and sit down and write down what you want out of your life. What do you want your life to be? Um, think about your ideal day when you're, you know, 25, when you're 35, and when you're 45. And just write that out like, you know, I wake up in the morning around this time, I've got a cat and I've got a, you know, a pet bird and then I watch the news and I eat breakfast and I ride my bike through a city and like try to dial it into down to like, you know, there's trees along my path and there's only luxury cars on the road and I, you know, I live in a townhouse and every morning I wake up and look out over, you know, whatever bay, you know, those are the kind of things that that like those are your dreams basically that are the way you want your life to be and you know they're just imagination so don't don't hold back if you really want to wake up in the morning and you know hop in a velvet robe and have you know lions <laughs> roaring on each side of your massive bed then and walk across the marble floor on rose petals like seriously write that down i mean mm -hmm. is that is that what's going to really make you happy or is it going to make you happy to um you know, your house doesn't matter so much. You've got just got a few possessions. You've got some close friends. You don't really need a husband. You know, kids aren't that important. What you really want to do is just help people or, you know, do something else. Okay, so think about all those things. Think about what you want them to be in those three decades because those are really like the formative. Um, all of your childhood led up to your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and all of the rest of your life after that is because of what you did in your 20s and 30s and 40s. So, like, think about that. And then come back to me and ask, tell me what your ideal day was like. Tell me those days. 
tell me where you live, tell me what you, uh, you know, what you wanted. And then I can tell you whether uh, archaeology is for you or not. <laughs> because I mean, there is there is really no, I know uh, archaeology company owners that have vacation homes that literally like, I mean, they don't necessarily have private jets, but they fly all around the world going to conferences. They do projects in other countries. You know, they're millionaires, basically, they have more than one house, you know, in town. I don't know if those guys necessarily thought that they would be millionaires doing cultural resources or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they ended up that way. And I also know a lot of people who um, got a bachelor's and they spent five years pulling ticks out of their ears, you know, in some swamp some year <laughs> and living in crummy hotels. And they they just spend their entire day crying about how they always wanted to do archaeology and this isn't archaeology and it's totally horrible and they hate their life and they hate school and they hate their professors and they hate everybody. And that's how they live. And for years and years and years until they can no longer dig, they spend their whole life hating, you know, what they do. And they never one time thought about the fact that they didn't really, they don't have to do that. They could have done something else. They could have done several different things in their lives that they didn't have to, uh, you know, work in a swampland somewhere getting paid minimum wage. So like the, my best uh, advice is to write down those dreams and think about those because the simple fact of writing those down, it helps you remember what your main goal is. Like if you want to be a mom and that's your main goal, then, you know, that, that's something that really uh, can really anchor you in reality. But if you just want to be a vagabond and just work on sites all over the place and just hang out with cool people, you know, Hey, that's another, that's, totally possible too you can be a millionaire a mom and a traveling vagabond doing archaeology it's really up to you show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the archaeology podcast network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles at that page you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the field. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.